Well, the scriptures describe a test or a trial that comes upon mankind, and it plays out in basically two ways. Now, the prophet Daniel was no stranger to trials and tests, uh, but I want to look with you at something that was said to him. And if we could turn to Daniel chapter 12 and verse 9, I want to look at that with you. And it was said to Daniel, said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and they're sealed till the end of time. But then verse 10, and it said, many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And so Daniel's being shown something uh, about the last days, it says the time of the end, um, and he's being showed by an angel. And those, there will be those who will be tried, and they'll be purified, and they'll be made white, and they'll understand. But then there are going to be those who are, are wicked, and they're just going to keep doing, you know, keep on that pathway of doing whatever is right in their own eyes. But they won't comprehend the spiritual reality of their situation. And so they'll just keep going in that way. But I was struck with the fact that there's really these two options. You know, we're all going to be tried in one way or another. There will some who will be tried, they'll experience judgments and just keep going on in the way they see fit and they won't understand. Or we can allow God to try us and make us pure and make us white and allow us to understand the way he would lead us. And there's few better examples for us than Joseph. And we've been studying uh, the life and the example of Joseph in our series. And uh, we've already considered for, uh, Psalm 105, but it's worth reading these verses again. It talks about Joseph in Psalm 105 and verse 17. It says, He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters, he was laid in iron, until the time that his word came and the word of the Lord tried him. You know, the word of the Lord tried him. That's kind of an interesting phrase when you consider it. What was the word of the Lord that tried him? Was it, you know, God saying, let's say it the Lord, Joseph, you're going to go down into Egypt and you're going to, you know, suffer many things. Well, that's actually, that's not what we read in scripture. What the scripture says is God spoke a promise to Joseph of reigning. Right? The, it was the dreams that he had of, of being a ruler, being, being in that place of authority. And I was, I was just kind of struck by that thought that God can give us promises and words of direction and guidance. And it's, it's those promises that test us and try us. You know, that it, Joseph was tested by that promise. He had to hold on to that through his trial. And so often when we receive a word from the Lord or a promise or, or maybe a, you know, a word of direction, sometimes the next step in our journey is what seems like the opposite 
of what God has spoken to us. You know, I'm going to lead you in a good way and look out, here comes trouble. But it is because the word of the Lord is tried. A couple of other verses we can relate to this. Another psalm, Psalm 18 and verse 30. It says, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. And he is a buckler or a shield to all who trust in him. So God's ways are perfect. His words are perfect. They're pure. They're trustworthy. They'll be our shield and our protector. But the word of the Lord is working in us and is tried. And, and the word of the Lord working in us, that, that word tried in Hebrew actually refers to the, the crucible. And the crucible is what you pour or you put the metal in. You don't pour it in it. You put the metal in and then the crucible is heated up to very high temperatures and what is in the crucible melts. And the metal is melted, then it's purified, and then it's poured into a form to create something. And that's a picture of what God is doing in his people as his word is working in us. It can take a very similar spiritual uh, formation or process through his word. Another verse in, in the Psalm, Psalms 12 and verse 6, it says, The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. And so we kind of get that implication. Here's his word tried like silver, and it's in a furnace of earth. You know, we're the clay, we're the earth, and he's trying to use us and work in us and, and produce something beautiful in us in this process. You know, there, I was actually looking up, and there's an ancient process of metalworking called sand forming. And it's thought that this was the way, sand forming, or they might use clay or different things, but it, it's thought this was the way that they, they fashioned some of the bronze implements for the tabernacle and, and the temple. And even the big pillars is what they would do is they would create a, a, a template or they would create something, form sand around that, and then they would get the template out. They did it in various ways. And then there would be that void and they would pour the molten uh, brass or metal, whatever they were using in there to form that, that implement. And so, you know, something would come out, something useful and sometimes even beautiful would come out of that sandy soil that had been used in that process. But, you know, God wants to, to work his word in us, in our lives, uh, but it takes purifying. And sometimes it's a multi-step process. It's, it can be involved, but the end result is God uses these vessels of clay and dirt and sand to imprint his image in us, to pour his word in us and form something beautiful and valuable to him and his kingdom. It requires the crucible. The pressure compacting that sand uh, and the heat of the molten liquid poured in for that vessel to be formed. And, and only then does the vessel of honor come out. 
And, and, and even and then it's not in perfect shape, still has to be cleansed and you know, refined and polished, and then it can be used. And so the reality is God can often speak a word to us, a promise, a sense of direction, and sometimes the opposite can take place, like with Joseph. He received a promise, a glorious promise, and something we would be like, yes, Lord, let it be so. And then the very next step for Joseph was down to Egypt as a slave. It's amazing how God can work in that way. Now, there was a situation my wife and I were facing, and you know, and, and in that situation, we received a word from the Lord, and it was really encouraging. You know, it, it was like God just spoke that word of exactly what we needed to do, clear direction. We made careful preparation to do that. That word, and we kind of had an expectation of, of, hey, God gave us the word of the Lord. Things are going to go well, uh, you know. And a strange thing happened. We we obeyed, and the situation got worse. <laughs> you know, it was like, hey, Lord, we did what you said, and the situation got worse. Uh, you could say the difficulty increased, and we were Sarah and I were talking about it, and out of my mouth came these words that I had not really considered before. I said, well, the word of the Lord is always tried. And then you know, I kind of thought about what I was saying. It's like, you know, that's right. God gives us his word, but we shouldn't be surprised that when he gives us a word and, you know, a promise or direction of counsel or so forth, that after that, the heat gets turned up because the word of the Lord is tried. Of course, Joseph, we mentioned he experienced this put into the fire after his promises. But there's others in scripture you can, you can see this example in their lives. You, know, you think about Father Abraham and all the, of the wonderful promises. I was just kind of looking up at all the different chapters where it's like chapter after chapter, he's getting promise after promise. But you know, it's all culminating to really one thing. Let's consider you know, it started in Genesis 12 when he was called out of the Ur of the Chaldees to come to the, the land of promise. You know, God promised a seed to him, uh, a nation, a great nation coming from him and a land being given. And then in the next chapter, chapter 13, Abraham and Lot separated. We considered that last week. And God promised to make his seed like the dust of the earth. Amen. That's a good promise. Time goes on. Chapter 15. God, again, he promised Abraham a son and his seed would be like the stars of the sky. And then verse chapter 17, God appeared and promised that uh, to multiply Abraham's seed exceedingly and gave him an everlasting covenant of circumcision. Up to this point, he still hasn't seen the promise. Then Genesis 18, God appears to Abraham again and declares as he would conceive a son in his old age. And then finally, here's the word, the culmination of the word of the Lord. He conceives a son in Genesis 21, but then Genesis 22 happens. Right? This is where it culminates. But you know, this is where the New Testament writers say the promise was confirmed. 
Genesis 22 verses 1 through 2, it says, It came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, Abraham said, Here I am, Lord. Verse 2, he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, who you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of these mountains, which I shall tell you. Now, Abraham, I mean, you could, you could say he had already been through the test of endurance and, you know, continuing those many years. He was 99 years old. Well, actually, he was older than this now because Isaac had been born and he was a, a young lad now. So he was into his hundreds. So he had already been tested. He was waiting upon God but you could maybe look at this point, you know, maybe as the critical point in which God was forming the promise, maybe the point where the liquid was being, metal was being poured in to that form, that critical juncture. And so what does Abraham do? He knows there's no other choice but to obey. He takes his son to Mount Moriah, binds him, places him on the altar, and even lifts the knife. And that's when God intervenes. And in Genesis 22, 12, the Lord said to him, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. You see, it, it was at that point that it was proved, and the word of the Lord was tried. The essential work was done. The casting had been poured, and God was producing something beautiful. You know, James talks about this in, in chapter 2 and verse 22. He said, Abraham's faith was made perfect through his works. He believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called a friend of God. And he's referring to this act of faith when, you know, Abraham was willing to give up his only son. So Abraham is the father of our faith because he allowed the word of the Lord to try him. He submitted to that. It involved many years of walking with God and, and trusting in God, obeying God, but it culminated in him basically giving his son back to God when God asked and said, okay, Lord, you're more important than the promise. Obeying you is what matters the most, and in that his faith was made perfect. Now, there's many different trials through many different individuals we can see in Scripture. And, you know, Abraham shows us the trial of promise, where we are willing to trust in God and let him work in us so that the promise has come to pass. Now, there's many others that we could go over we could mention in scripture. I want to mention another one. Uh, and this was in the time of King Hezekiah. Now, in this time, you know, he's one of the most godly kings listed, uh, you know, in, in the, as a king of Jude, kings of Judah. But in this time, the Assyrians are invading the land. But he has faith. Hezekiah has faith. He's making declarations uh, to the people and, and you can read one of these declarations in 2 Chronicles 32, 11. He says, the Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the kings of Assyria. It's an open declaration. 
And what's interesting is who's saying this verse. It's actually not Hezekiah who's saying this. Um, it's actually the Assyrians. They heard it. He said it so publicly that it came back to them that they heard it and they're quoting it back. And so he had faith to make that declaration. God will deliver us from the hands of the king of Assyria. But the attack of the enemy continues, doesn't it? In fact, it gets desperate. I don't know. I would, be, I would start to be like, oh God, did I do something wrong? When you, when you have faith and you're proclaiming to the nations, right? you're, you're putting your out, yourself out there as the king. God will deliver us. They're coming farther. God will deliver us. Oh no, now they've conquered our outlying towns. God will deliver us. Now they're surrounding the city. The trial of faith. But he did not give up, did he? The enemy's even writing letters. Well, they're, they're out there on the, around the walls proclaiming, you know, in the Hebrew tongue how they're going to be conquered and so forth. And they're writing letters that says they're reviling the Lord God of Israel. It was an intense trial. Hezekiah's faith, well, the faith of the nation was being tried, but Hezekiah is the leader as well. And so what does he do? He takes those letters and he goes into the house of the Lord and he spreads them out before the Lord. And he says, Lord, I'm trusting in you. Here's what the enemy is saying, but I'm looking to what you're saying. And in 2 Kings 19 and verse 19, he, he says, Lord, you're God alone. Save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. You know, his faith was being tried, but he recognized this is an opportunity for God to be seen, for the nations to know that you are God. And so he places everything, the whole nation, into the hands of God, being willing to go through this test and to submit to the, the mighty hand of God, hoping they'd be raised up. And then one morning, they woke up, as probably all other mornings, and they looked out around the, the army that was besieging them, and they noticed something was different. Is that the army had not woken up. They, were, they had all fallen slain. And it says that, that in the night, the, the angel of the Lord had gone through the camp of the Assyrians and slew 185,000 of them. The word of the Lord was tried, but here's what happens when we hold on to the word of the Lord we're always vindicated. We're always victorious as we see in these examples. Now, there's many other trials we could consider in scripture. You know, there's the trial of worship. That's going to be important in the last days, right? Daniel's friends were tested on worship. Would they bow down to the image, you know, and the music that was playing? The Antichrist is going to require something similar in the last days. There's the tr trial of obedience. Will we obey God in the pathway he's leading us? The, you know, there's the test of honoring our authority and so forth. There's many more. But all of these tests and trials are really combined to do one thing. To form Christ in us. His work of faith and beauty. That that would be seen in us. 
it can require some fiery situations. But the Apostle Peter said something that that's often comes to mind, you know, when I think about the fiery situations of life. 1 Peter 4 and verse 12, he said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened unto you. Instead, rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. I had to fit this verse in here somehow because it, it kept coming back to me as I was doing this study. You know, think it not strange that the word of the Lord is trying you. Especially when the word of the Lord is promises and, you know, di direction and guidance and deliverance, but yet it seems like the opposite is taking place. We're not to think it strange when the fire is turned up, but instead we're to rejoice it's not a natural response <laughs> to rejoice when trouble increases. But that's where we need those eyes of faith, as we heard in the prophetic. You know, we're to develop that spiritual response, something in our spirit where we lift our eyes unto the one who's, who is our salvation. And we realize we're partaking in something that's doing an eternal and everlasting work inside of us, in our spirits, that couldn't be done any other way. You know, we, maybe we could avoid the fire, but then that work wouldn't be done, right? That, that metal wouldn't be poured in and formed within us. But we can rejoice, and we will rejoice when His glory is revealed. We'll rejoice with exceeding joy because we'll see the work that he's done in our lives. And that's going to be the outcome, right? On earth, but especially in eternity, is that if we hold fast to his word and allow his work to be done within us, the outcome will be victory. You know, in one sense, the word of the Lord is always tried, but it is also always triumphant. The trials and the floods are going to come, but the word of the Lord will cause us to stand. Now, we read that earlier in, in Psalm 1830. The word of the Lord is tried, but he is a buckler. He is a shield to all that trust in him. It's that picture of, you know, whoa, here comes the flood. But the word of the Lord enables us to withstand it. Of course, didn't Jesus give us that exact picture? In the New Testament, Matthew 7, he said, if we're founded upon the rock and his word, and we, we allow his word to work in, in us through obedience to it, something happens. Matthew 7, 24, those who hear his word and do it, the rain will descend and the floods are going to come and the winds are going to blow and beat upon that house. That's not the part of the promise that we really enjoy. You know, he, he kind of assures us that that is going to come if we allow his word to come into our lives because the word of the Lord tries us. However, when we do his word and follow it, we're founded upon the rock and it's the rock that preserves us. 
They will stand because they are founded upon the rock. There will be many that will not stand because they built their house on doing what is right in their own eyes. They didn't allow the word of the Lord to be tried within their hearts, and that's a dangerous place to be. And so there is a test and a trial that's going to come upon all the earth, especially in the days to come, but we all face it in our various walks of life. But those who will stand are those in whom the word of the Lord is tried. As we place our faith not in what we see with our our natural eyes, but in doing what God is speaking and how he is leading in the work that he wants to do within us, we will, be, we will rejoice because we're founded upon the rock and be partakers of the beauty of Christ because something beautiful has been formed within us. It took some fire and it took some molten word, you know, being formed within us, but then out from that mold of our sand and clay comes something beautiful that he has created. And we will rejoice because we will be empowered to stand. And when he appears in his glory, we will be glad with exceeding joy. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the power of your word. Thank you that your word is working so mightily within us and doing such a beautiful, creative, and redemptive work in our lives. And Lord, we pray that we might be people of your word that would be led by your word, that we would allow your word to work in us, to lead us, to change us, to transform us, and yes, Lord, even to try us. Lord, that we could come out like silver, like gold that's been purified, and that you would cause a beautiful work to be created in our lives as we yield to you and follow the Lamb wherever you would lead us. Oh, Lord, do that work within us that you would be pleased, Lord, as as your work in our lives is revealed in eternity. And we thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.